Welcome to episode 120 of the Steptoe Cyber Law Podcast, brought to you by Steptoe and Johnson. Thank you for joining us. We're lawyers talking about technology, security, privacy, and government. And uh, as a special treat today, we're joined by guest commentator and lawyer, Paul Rosenzweig, formerly with the uh, uh, Department of Homeland Security and the founder of Red Branch Consulting, uh, uh, a homeland security consulting company, uh, and also a senior advisor to the Chertoff Group. Welcome, Paul. Hi, thanks for having me, Stuart. And uh, uh, also today, uh, we're uh, uh, we have Alan Cohn, formerly with DHS, where he worked with Paul and me. Uh, um, Katie Castle, an attorney in our International Regulatory Compliance Group, uh, and I'm Stuart Baker, formerly with the NSA and DHS, holding the record for returning to Steptoe to practice law more times than any other lawyer. We're going to have a an interview, but uh, it's separate from this news roundup because it's with Will Hurd and he couldn't uh, uh, have the interview on Monday as originally scheduled, so we're just going to break them into two pieces. Uh, so why don't we jump right in? Uh, uh, kind of hard to talk about uh, these issues um, uh, today without talking about Orlando uh, and the mass killings at the Pulse nightclub. Uh, um, what's striking, I think, uh, is just how little in the way of intercepts and social media we're hearing about. That's right, Stuart. I think um, it's the dog that didn't bark, to you know, quote Arthur, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Um, in all of the other uh, recent instances, Paris, uh, San Bernardino, for example, we, we've had large volumes of Internet interactions of some form that have been part of the story of uh, self-radicalization in one way or another, or at least part of the operational control. Uh, now, it may be just that we're too early in the game and that that's going to come next, but uh, nobody is talking about uh, his Facebook posts had, uh, uh, that were anti-gay or, or pro-ISIS, and nobody's talking about um, contacts with the Middle East, at least not yet. And that's surprising. I, it is surprising. He was clearly on our radar, uh, and my guess is we'll learn more about that if the FBI didn't have uh, access to his private posts, they screwed up because uh, uh, they clearly interviewed him uh, uh, over concerns. There were people reporting, uh, this guy's crazy and he's dangerous too. Uh, um, so uh, uh, one, of the, one of the questions will be how seriously did uh, people take that? And if they didn't take it seriously, was it uh, that they were overwhelmed or that they were overwhelmed by political correctness? <laughs> Well, we'll see. But, you know, it's inter also interesting here is that uh, there was a whole line of thinking uh, a couple of years ago that's continuing. I'll, and I'll give credit to our former colleague, John Cohen, for advocating that, you know, whether the crime is motivated by idealism or uh, of a terrorist type or, um, or hatred, mm -hmm. um, that the indicators of violence are often the same. And, of course, the effects are the same. Here we have them merged. We have an act of terrorism and a hate crime. Yeah, and a nutcase. Done by someone who is exhibiting signs, you know, the, uh, while, as you said, there's no evidence right now of, uh, of communications back to, uh, uh, to Syria or Iraq, there's plenty of indications of people coming forward and say, oh, yeah, I believe that immediately. That guy used to say nasty things about everyone. I totally believe he was prone to violence. Uh, and so it shows that perhaps, uh, and this is, of course, a dangerous road to go down, that um, 
those indicators to violence uh, are in fact you know the same across the across both um whether that's so, a, so that's i'm gonna, a, I'm gonna push back on that no. a little because that sounds very uh, much like what i hear from this administration uh, so that they can put uh, uh you know uh the people who occupy the uh, uh national forest headquarters in the same box as isis uh, but i think the difference is that there's a offshore organization dedicated to persuading nutcases who are uh, Islamic uh, to go postal. Uh, and um, the people who are radicalized off on the right uh, or on some orthogonal uh, uh, direction uh, um, don't have a committed propaganda arm aimed just at them to get them to, 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 to begin killing people. I think that's fair, but I think stepping down to a more operational level, it goes to, you know, we, we used to do this a lot at Homeland Security. What's that intersection or interaction supposed to be between the federal government and the states and the localities? And so when you're down at that, at the down, not down, but when you're working at the operational level, um, at a state or a local police department, what do you, what are we supposed to look at? And, mm -hmm. And as you said, the FBI couldn't make a case on terrorism, so closed the investigation. Maybe that shouldn't always be the end of the story when it comes to what do we want our, our law enforcement agencies looking at? What, yeah, exactly. Do, it, do we have a, a way of addressing this that is short of locking people up? Yeah, that's a fair question. All right. Well, let's jump into uh, the uh, the cyber side of this uh, uh, of these issues. Uh, um, lots of talk all of a sudden about Congress weighing in on ICANN uh, and the transfer of control of the ICANN uh, contract with the Commerce Department to some uh, multinational uh, oversight body. Uh, um, and um, on the right, a lot of resistance to that. Uh, uh, Paul, um, we have now, I've now said everything I understand about ICANN because I willfully refuse to understand it, uh, uh, but I know you've been closer to it. Well, you remember I was here about a year and a half ago and I tried to convince you this was important and you should pay attention and yes. you said no then. <laughs> um, so, you know, ICANN, the Internet Corporation for Assigned Names and Numbers, controls the naming function, the d domain name system the system that makes Steptoe.com resolve to the servers in this building. Uh, there's two problems with that, um, uh, or two problems with the naming system. One is uh, a question of free speech, which mm -hmm. is to say uh, there's intellectual property in Steptoe, and you can imagine getting rid of Tibet.org if you were China and being happy, that sort of thing. The other is uh, monopoly profits, right, which is if you're in charge of a unique resource like uh, the naming function that everybody wants, uh, that's a good way to make a lot of money if there's not some oversight or audit or control. For years, the oversight and audit that has prevented abuse of both those has been the United States government's contract with ICANN. It's mostly so, so I, I, I have to say, uh, if they were watching the hen house to make sure that people were not extracting monopoly rents from their uh, ability to name uh, uh, top-level domains, they did a pretty bad job of it because ICANN went out and created a massive number of uh, domains that nobody so, wants. So it's going to get, but that, but that everybody domain, has to buy that, in order to protect their trade. Most people aren't buying them. I mean, did you buy Steptoe.sucks? No. 
right? Yeah. So because you you've made the judgment that it doesn't matter that much. That's true. Um, and uh, and I think that's right. So I think they had a bad judgment. It's going to get worse though. Um, what's happening now? is that uh, at the instance of the U.S. government, we're about to give away that control and give it not to a multinational group, but to a multi-stakeholder group, right? right? So not countries, but everybody involved. The problem is that the multi-stakeholder group, after doing this for two years, when it started, I thought this was going to work, that we could actually build an architecture that would allow the multi-stakeholders as shareholders, in effect, to control the board. But the multi-stakeholders are too weak. They don't have the... uh, uh, resources and intellectual capacity and stick to actually control. The so what's that mean? The governments will take over? And no, well, the board's going to be the first takeover. Mm-hmm. I actually think it's going to be more like FIFA. That's, that's my model. <laughs> ICANN equals FIFA. They have control over a monopoly of something that is a valuable resources to the entire world. Uh, and they use it to extract monopoly profits. With the monopoly profits, they go back and they bribe their electors. They make Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in FIFA, they, they give they share multi-million the dollar yes. judgments uh, to to the uh, soccer federation of uh, Wagadougou, and, uh, and in turn, they get their votes. And that's, I think, what's going to happen. It's going to be a uh, self-licking ice cream cone or a self-perpetuating ice cream cone, um, and that's going to ultimately be bad. The What you refer to now is that Congress, a small number of them, have, have finally woken up to them in the Senate. Um, Senator Rubio has been proposing a two-year delay. Uh, Senator Cruz, as, as might be expected, moves to the right and says, let's just cancel this and go back to ground zero. Um, unless they can put that legislation uh, of either form into some must-pass bill like, the, like an omnibus or something like that, its actual chances of passage are very small. And so uh, my prediction is that come October 1, uh, the U.S. is going to let its contract lapse, right. and uh, we're going to sail off into this brave new world. In which uh, um, a small group of people make a boatload of money uh, doing corrupt bargains with each other. I think that's probably uh, – corrupt sounds so bad. Uh, <laughs> it, it, self-dealing is, is always uh, a problem, mm-hmm. and I think that a lot of people are going to um, – uh, get a lot of money out of it. One of my favorite stories is one of the, uh, it, during this entire process, one of the great uh, resistors to um, a lot more stringent oversight by the community was the French government, um, at large part motivated by their own disputes about dot wine and dot vin and, and things like that. Um, the head of the French government has now gone off and formed a private uh, nonprofit, which just got a large grant. Of- How? Convenient. How convenient. Uh, uh, and we can still talk about it until the EU tells us that we have to forget it. Uh, 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 we'll get back to that because uh, I'm looking forward to talking about the right to be forgotten. But let's uh, let's uh, eat our spinach. We've got real law to talk about. Uh, um, Care first breach. Uh, dismiss the whole lawsuit, I guess, for lack of standing. Yes. And this is another in the long line of, um, of standing cases. Uh, in this instance, uh, you had two separate incidents of, uh, of breaches in 2015 that allegedly com- compromised the confidential personal information about a little over a million people. So that's names, birth dates, email addresses, subscriber ID numbers. However, uh, CareFirst denied that any confidential medical records were involved. So it's just this basic biographical information. Um, and the plaintiffs alleged a, a range of, of potential harms, like the increased risk of identity theft, the costs incurred in mitigating that risk, and, and some other uh, some other 
projected and potential losses. And the court found that the plaintiffs lacked standing because they failed to allege any actual injury or incidents of misuse of the data. Uh, the court noted that most courts have, have, uh, have agreed the mere loss of data uh, without evidence of injury is doesn't constitute injury sufficient to confer standing. They also um, noted that uh, two things that were interesting. Number one, that just the fact that the plaintiffs went out and procured identity or credit monitoring or other identity monitoring solutions doesn't mean that you could manufacture standing. Just by, by buying insurance. By buying insurance. And that second, that because the information involved didn't involve social security numbers, credit card information. Oh, there's no inherent likelihood of abuse. Well, there, that's others kind of similarly sensitive information that because that information wasn't taken that you couldn't you couldn't maintain the case which which just seems to indicate i think a couple of things that are worth bearing number 1 have we now accepted that the theft that our of stuff names is just out there and, yeah it's <laughs> names birthdates email addresses subscriber identification numbers that is not harm anymore that is just simply the cost of doing business online um, but the second thing, I but think in for, 10 years, we'll be doing this program and we'll be saying, well, sure, it was a naked picture, but nobody was having sex. You right. Know? <laughs> it was my entire, the sequence of my entire genome, but, you know, no one actually altered anything in my body. Um, but I do think, but that raises a second point, which is, and I think that companies should be thinking about this kind of short-term, long-term piece, which is right now, these types of arguments that lead to dismissal for lack of standing is a is uh, as you can see, it's going to be a successful tactic, and oh, that totally. bar is going to get higher. I do think there's going to be a tipping point at some point, though, where someone um, could be a transnational criminal organization, could be a nation state, could be somebody else who's aggregating a lot of this information. All of a sudden, uses it in some way. Yeah, but you know, then you can't track the the, the, the provenance, uh, and so uh, because it'll be out there, right? We'll all have naked pictures on the internet, uh, and so it won't be clear which breach caused it. And so it'll be, I think it'll be very difficult for some courts to resolve that that we've simply reached that point, and we may see a kind of counter swing of the pendulum back towards. Well, let's go back and look at kind of the sequence of breaches or how many breaches. And just to be aware that at some point that pendulum may swing back again. Well, speaking of pendulums swinging back, remember we talked about that uh, a wussy judge in uh, the Western District of uh, Washington who uh, suppressed a bunch of the child porn evidence but didn't bother writing an opinion because uh, that's kind of embarrassing. Uh, we got an opinion out of the EDVA, the Eastern District of Virginia, uh, on the same topic, uh, very Workmanlike, thoughtful, and came out the other way, uh, which may also explain why the guy in Washington wasn't willing to write a uh, uh, an opinion. Uh, but so, if you're looking for it, I will include it in the show notes. Um, uh, but uh, it's Judge Dumar who's written a very thoughtful opinion in the Darby case, U.S. versus Darby. Um, a, and uh, kudos to uh, uh, Senator Cornyn, who has uh, in a in a thoroughly uh, uh, Baker-like uh, move, said, uh, so this EPA reform thing that was sent to us unanimously by the uh, House of Representatives, you know, that looks like a bill that's going to move. And I've got some things that the FBI wants that I'd like to see attached to it, too. And he proposed attaching electronic uh, communications transaction records, uh, um, the ability to get it with a national security letter, which 
the FBI used to have and lost kind of in a, a typo battle. Um, it, it, he attached it to the bill, and as a result, looks like the entire privacy lobby and the companies are just taking a walk. Yeah, I think that's what's going to happen. Um, they uh, they they didn't see that as a typo battle. Uh, they saw well, that not. as a um, as a substantive victory. Um, and um, you know, whatever you think of the merits of the of the of the question, um, I think you're right. He's kind of uh, taken a hostage. You know, watch it, or the fellow dies. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, with the gun to their head. Um, and uh, they, uh, I mean, truthfully. He, I think he sort of made a mistake because a lot of the, the core of what they want out of the ECPA reform they've already gotten in the Warshak case. Yeah. Um, and, and most of the, most of the big, um, uh, companies are m- applying warrant requirements even outside the Sixth Circuit already. So, um. Yeah, but, but I think this does sort of show that this big campaign is, it's sort of the Seinfeld of electronic, uh, uh, surveillance law. It's a, it's, it's a law about nothing. Uh, and, uh, if, if it's that insignificant that they'll walk over putting the law back to where it was in 2009 for the FBI, uh, they don't want it very bad. Well, uh, I think they want it pretty bad. They've invested an awful lot of money and a lot of, uh, a lot of energy in it. Um, I think for the companies, the value of the law is, is a greater surety, right? I mean, statutory law is always much, much firmer ground on which to act than, um, uh, uh, Legis- uh, judicial law that can can change on, you know, with a bad decision in another jurisdiction. Um, but uh, you know, it, it's actually what it it does say to me is that there's a a dissonance between the privacy advocates and the business advocates. Right? The business advocates want the law more. The privacy advocates uh, want the symbolism more. And so, um, I, I mean, my guess is uh, it's dead. Yeah. Uh, unless uh, unless somebody gets to corn and. In Texas, you know, they, he had the votes to put it on in the judiciary. Everybody tells me mm-hmm. so. What? Uh, and the only reason it didn't get put on is that uh, uh, the people said, uh, "Well, if you're going to put that on, we want to pull it." So, I, if I understand it right, uh, it's not it's not going to happen uh, without uh, uh, this being attached. Maybe it'll go to the floor, but somebody has to decide to send it to the floor, and I don't know why they would. No, I think I think that's right. I think it's uh, it's not good. The privacy groups and the business groups won't won't let it go. So, all right. Well, um, okay. So that's a, a modest bit, very modest bit of good news. Well, I will say I will say it does demonstrate this um, that our Congress, for whatever reason, is fundamentally incapable of legislating in this area. It took them yeah. ten years to pass. The Cybersecurity Act, uh, by which point large fractions of it were no longer relevant. Uh, ECPA reform, dead. Um, legislation about anything that is going to actually matter today, unlikely. So this is one reason why I think this is a good idea. Uh, if you say to the privacy guys, you can stop legislation that makes sense to 90% of America by you know, uh, lying about its privacy impact. Uh, um, and you know what? We can stop your bills, too, with a bunch of things that we want. Uh, and so uh, uh, someday when you want it bad enough or we want what we want bad enough, some kind of um, omnibus uh, uh, bill will pass that has a bunch of things that, that we can all tolerate. Uh, but, you, you know, you're not going to just walk in here and say mean things about the FBI and get a bill that is one-sided. 
So that's uh, anyway. I I I I can't resist this story because it allows me to say that the data protection commissioner of Hamburg is hot dogging on uh, uh, data protection issues uh, and doing it with relish. Uh, uh, <laughs> so, um, uh, Katie, what did he do? So the data protection uh, commissioner in Hamburg, Germany, recently fined three companies about 10,000 euros each for not implementing standard contractual clauses uh, fast enough after the safe safe harbor had been invalidated. Um, So he explained the companies received low fines, the maximum's actually 300,000 euros, because they eventually implemented the standard contractual clauses, um, but that they had been... um, violating the law by continuing to transfer data to the U.S. after the uh, safe harbor had been invalidated. Yep, so this is the first shot across the bow. bow. We knew sooner or later somebody would do it, and Hamburg was always a good candidate for that. Uh, But this this allows me to make a much more important announcement, uh, and that is that uh, uh, the Europocracy Prize has now gone live and is available for uh, donations. The Europocracy Prize is exact is, is aimed at exactly this kind of thing, where uh, Europeans say, uh, I want to show how much I hate the United States by attacking their failure to live up to uh, my made-up human rights and uh, um, surveillance standards that nobody in Europe uh, or the rest of the world lives up to, and I'm going to use it to cut off uh, uh, exports of data to the United States to find U.S. companies and the like, when in fact there's data being exported from Europe to Russia, to China, to Saudi Arabia, to Algeria, uh, all the time. Uh, and uh, while the U.S. has been forced into probably a dozen negotiations over its alleged inadequacies, uh, not one of those countries has ever been asked to uh, stand uh, trial for what its inadequacies might be. So what we have done is we have... Uh, proposed a $10,000 prize to the first person who brings a an inadequacy lawsuit against data transfers to all those other countries. Uh, I, and uh, Tech Freedom, uh, uh, headed by uh, Baron Zoka, has uh, joined us. They've brought their uh, 501c3 status so that you can go to Indiegogo's site called Generosity, where uh, um, 501c3s uh, do their funding, uh, and you can make a donation that is tax deductible to try to get us to uh, $10,000 uh, uh, so that we can issue uh, a prize to the first person who brings one of these, uh, uh, brings 10 of these uh, lawsuits successfully. So uh, um, if you're listening to this, uh, please go uh, in, in, in a, a fit of irony. We all decided that the uh, uh, donations ought to be made anonymous, or at least it ought to be possible to make them anonymously because, you know, for all their uh, can't about uh, human rights the Europeans would punish anybody they caught making a donation of this kind. Uh, so um, uh, this will be I'll, I'll take I'll take my life into my own hands and say I'm going to make a donation. Story. All right, all right. Uh, well, I actually already have. Uh, oh, so so you outed yourself? <laughs> I outed huh? myself. But no, no surprise there. <laughs> well, I was going to say it wasn't exactly a secret. <laughs> but uh, look, you know, if you're a, a government agency, uh, I think you can probably justify making this at the end of the uh, fiscal year. Certainly, if you're a company that thinks that they're going to be targeted for this, uh, um, making sure that the Hamburg Data 
Privacy Data Protection Commissioner is struggling with questions like uh, whether he ought to uh, call out Algeria for a lack of uh, data transparency and uh, human rights protections. You know, the more time he spends with that, the less time he has to impose fines on American companies who are still getting their house in order. I'm actually looking most forward to seeing the reaction of the Chinese government when he is obliged to bring a case against Huawei. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. And WeChat, I'm sure that WeChat is on phones all over Europe and is sending its data back to China, of course. Uh, Where it's processed completely consistently with the fair information. So I'm looking forward to that, too, because I think then the United States can just walk in the next week and say, we'll take the deal that Beijing got. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) All right. Uh, So... Quickly, let's roll through a bunch of uh, 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 stories. Um, uh, The UK, um, the the headlines were all, despite hacking and snooping fears, so web surveillance legislation moves forward in the United Kingdom. You know, guys, when a law passes 444 to 69 in the House of uh, Commons, it's hard to call it controversial. It's hard to say there were a lot of surveillance fears, but that just tells you where the reporters were. Uh, there were some tinkering with it. That's how, how they got Labor to join. Uh, you know, NHS records are more carefully protected. Uh, you're supposed to look for less intrusive alternatives before you go straight to surveillance. A lot of, you know, modest but real changes to the bill, and now it's going to go forward. Uh, I thought the most interesting thing about it is um, – it ought to be controversial in Cupertino because it basically says, um, you know, that Apple defense. No, uh, if you can, if you can uh, defeat the uh, security measures, then you have an obligation to do so. Uh, so uh, already, uh, Apple's uh, uh, publicity campaign is bearing fruit, but just not the fruit they had in mind. It's going to be an interesting contrast. All right, uh, the French. Uh, a French court has uh, convicted Uber of uh, violating French law, though I think probably the one, there must be a clause that says uh, uh, French government must always be respected because uh, they clearly do not uh, respect uh, governments. Uh, criminal, and there was a data protection charge that I have yet to figure out because uh, it, it's inconceivable to me that the people who r- drive for Uber didn't give them consent to uh, to use their data, um, and the same for the people who call on Uber. So uh, it's it's hard to see what kind of criminal um, uh, objection there is, which suggests that, uh, as always with data protection laws, you can always find something that somebody has violated if you want to. Well, you know, in Europe, they have a much different vision of consent. We actually think of it as consent. They think of it as, if it's a hard choice, you don't have to make it. Yeah, well, I, I, that, that, that could easily be. Uh, um, Leslie Caldwell has given a speech explaining what uh, her standards are for the UK, uh, for dealing with the UK on uh, exchanges of um, uh, electronic information that's stored in the United States but relevant to UK crimes. Uh, this is mostly a reaction to all the SSL encryption that the webmail providers do, which now can't be intercepted using uh, wiretap uh, uh, capabilities and has to be obtained by going to Google or Hotmail and saying, please give me this information, which means that you have to go through the U.S. government and it's been taking forever. So the U.K. government has asked for changes basically in our law. Is that right? Right. They are. So um, she mentioned the U.K. treaty, but kind of 
talked about it in uh, broader terms, just as the problem of, um, you know, UK police trying to get communications between foreigners outside the U.S. where the service provider just stores it in the in the U.S. And so um, what she discusses is that they're considering a framework by which U.S. providers could provide data in these situations where it doesn't involve Americans and it's not in America um, as long as they follow that country's laws, as long as they follow U.K. laws. But that would um, require us to amend ECBA and all the pro- prohibitions we have on sharing this kind of data. Well, so here's a, to, for Senator Cornyn and, and anybody who believes that uh, legislation should uh, have something in it for everybody. This is one we should never pass that law uh, without saying these benefits only go to jurisdictions that have not interfered with the free transfer of data between the United States and their jurisdiction. Uh, if they want this deal, they're going to have to give up this BS uh, uh, with um, uh, data exports. Uh, and uh, that'll put up, that'll make this a much tougher choice for European governments, I think. Okay, um, right to be forgotten. It turns out that if you want to know who was uh, who, who asked to have their name taken out of a story, all you have to do is run a script that uh, compares the Google.com stories to the uh, 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 the Google.fr stories, and you're likely to find a story that has a name in it that isn't in any of the Google.fr stories, and somebody has begun to automate that process, and naturally the result is that uh, the French want to regulate more, because, uh, uh, you know, the idea of regulating less just isn't on. Uh, and um, let's, oh. So, so I had a question yep. about the right to be forgotten. A friend of mine posed it the other day, and it was really good. Ten years from now, after he's led a really good life, does Brock Turner get to have his name forgotten? Is that the, the Stanford uh, the, 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 guy, Stanford rapist? Um, they have certainly forgotten crimes for some people. They they do that less than some of the other things that they forget. And they, you know, I, I started looking at this using the same tools that these guys were using uh, and found probably, you know, 30 or 40 percent of the people's names. Uh, and the people that they tended to allow to be forgotten, had arguments about youth and um, the kind of crime that they committed, uh, completely um, uh, discretionary. And weird that that discretion is in the hands of probably underpaid interns at uh, the uh, at Google. Uh, very odd. Uh, one last thing, and then we'll uh, quit uh, DHS uh, is uh, pursuing legislation to get uh, uh, NPPD, which is their uh, um, cyber, among other things, uh, a unit, turned into a full-fledged component like the Secret Service or the Coast Guard. Uh, um, you guys were, were there, too. Uh, good idea, bad idea. You know, I think it is a good idea. Uh, it's been a long, it's been a long battle coming, but I do think that that an an operating component gives you the ability to operate as an agency. Gives and elevates both. It elevates the importance and clarifies inside the department and outside the department and in the in the interagency where those kind of things matter. Uh, that this is an operating agency and appear to other operating agencies. Yeah, I guess I'd say it depends what it is they are, what operations they get to do. Right. Um, it, it, I think that, uh, you know, DHS's cyber highest best value lies mostly 
in its coordinative function, not in its defensive function. Mm-hmm. Um, so properly scoped, I think that it's a, it's, it's a, it's a, not a bad step. I also think, though, that, um, uh, it ought to be uh, conjoined, that a lot of the cyber, that, it, that a lot of the cyber threats now are physically ma- manifested physically, and so that it's, it's not a cyber agency and a physical agency. Oh, you're agency. singing Suzanne Spaulding's song. Well, she, I, she says I, that I, I agree with her on this one. It, on many things I agree with. Well, on this one in particular, she's right. And the bill does conjoin those things. And interestingly, on Paul's point about uh, engagement coordination, the director's formal title will not be the director of the Cyber and Infrastructure Protection Agency, but the director of national cybersecurity. Ah, yeah. Well, you always want to choose the the broadest possible uh, title while keeping it as short as possible as well. Uh, well, terrific. Uh, a couple of things. Uh, uh, we ask uh, our uh, guests if they've got any events they want to promote. You doing any speaking or other events? Um, I'm going up to Columbia later this week uh, for a state of the field conference on cyber war. Um, what, what we know and what, what doctrines were being developed. It's at, at, at Columbia, uh, Jay Healy's SIPA, the yeah, okay. School of International and Public Affairs. It, uh, it's a nice looking thing. Okay, cool. And I am doing a, an argument that if you wanted to see the argument that never occurred between Apple and the FBI, uh, in the Supreme Court, uh, the museum on Wednesday at 2 p.m. is having an oral argument, uh, uh, before a panel of, uh, seven judges, at least one of whom is probably not going to vote for Apple because it's me. I, uh, and, um, I, I've read the briefs. They're very good. Uh, uh, very thoughtful, uh, uh, long, elaborate uh, discussion of the First Amendment issue, which probably um, would have been better handled in a paragraph. But uh, uh, it'll be a fun event. So uh, uh, that's Wednesday, June 15 at 2 p.m. One other uh, bleg for the, uh, the audience. Uh, I've been struggling with the question whether we ought to try to get CLE credit for listening to the podcast uh, and uh, um, it's it's complicated you have to do it state by state you probably have to generate materials there might be a bunch of things why this would be hard um, and so I'm trying to judge whether there's actually interest so um, a, we usually call for feedback now I'm calling for very specific feedback uh, um, should we pursue uh, CLE credit for the podcast and if so what state so so you're telling me I can get CLA credit for listening to an entertaining broadcast as opposed to sitting in a painfully dull um, panel discussion? Um, that's right. That's 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 okay. The, that's the, the question. I'm sold. <laughs> <laughs> but it is a lot of work. So we DC do, obviously we, we need to hear a lot of people uh, uh, hear from a lot of people. Uh, DC, Virginia, California, New York. What is the uh, 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 how much enthusiasm is there? So that's Cyber Law Podcast at steptoe.com. Uh, and of course, we're always glad to get good reviews uh, and five stars on iTunes and other podcast aggregators. This has been episode 120. The Steptoe Cyber Law Podcast brought to you by Steptoe and Johnson. Coming up, we're going to be joined by Jamie Elizabeth Smith of Bitfury. Uh, you will be, I will be hiking across the Sierra Nevada of Spain uh, next week. Uh, and then by Fred Kaplan, author of Dark Territory, The Secret History of the Cyber War. We hope you'll join us for those and other programs as we once again provide insights into the latest events in technology, security, privacy, and governance.